0: One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Columbia, Columbia,
1: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the TKW Podcast. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Kyle Maggio.
0: And I'm Bailey Carlin.
1: And uh, yeah, let's just uh, hop right into it. So we've had a fairly, I would say an eventful week and a half or so since we were last time with Clem. Especially, I mean, it was just one game in particular. Um, so it was re- really the the Magic and then the Celtics games that really have happened in this Mm -hmm. time span, but, um, Christmas day is a big game. So, you know, all eyes, that's more than just the national TV game. Everybody's off. Everybody, literally everybody's watching at that time slot. So it was a good chance for a Chris Stapp's first game. So, uh, what did you see?
0: I mean, I didn't think they looked that terrible. I mean, obviously in the first half they looked hellacious. Um, but generally, I mean, we, everyone jokes and like Twitter, you're right. Twitter, like the mentions, the Knicks wall mentions were crazy that day. They um, you could just tell that a lot more people were watching than usual. But um, I don't think Kristoff's particularly stepped up and looked great. He's still struggling catch and shoot. It's painful to watch him miss open threes. I think he's getting there. I think he's just in a little bit of a shooting slump right now. But like I, I digress to get back to what I was saying. They make these fake comebacks and they're predictable. And everyone knows they're coming. But they're comebacks still. And I know they fall short. But it's better than just not showing up at all. And this one did feel a little different. And I think because they left themselves such a hole and they were down so much and they'd been so terrible and let the Celtics shoot so many open shots, they really had no chance. I don't think any team would have really had a chance to completely make that comeback. They just ran out of gas. But I thought they looked – I mean, the Celtics are a good team. They're not a bad team. I think the major difference between this comeback and a lot of them are – like I just said, the Celtics aren't that bad a team. A lot of these Knicks comebacks come against bad teams, and they end up being bad losses. If they had played the Celtics close all game and then lost by three points or lost by five points, I wouldn't have been upset. So the comeback hurt, but you got to kind of look at the bigger picture, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. This wasn't a bad loss. This kind of goes back to what I was saying a couple weeks ago, right before we played the Cavs again. And uh, my sticking point was I don't care if they win. I They don't have to win. They just have to lose by less than 10. That's it. These are the Cavs, the defending champions, lose by less than 10 against an Eastern Conference contender. And the Celtics are on a different level entirely than the Cavaliers, but the same rules kind of apply. The Celtics were kind of penciled in as the two or three seed this year since they, you know, upgraded a little bit with Al Horford. And um, now they're finally healthy and back and rolling a little bit. And it's the same thing. I don't really mind the loss. Two reasons. One, yes, it was a very Knicksy game. It was a A-plus Knicks-fake comeback, but at the same time, too, there were three other quarters of basketball where the Knicks outplayed the Celtics. Mm-hmm. The first quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter, Knicks outplayed the Celtics each one of those quarters. It was the second quarter when they dug a hole they couldn't get out of. So Sands one run there, they are more than in the game. They, they win that game, and you could always play the if game, but it really was one bad run, and then the Knicks kind of got a grip on it and played consistent and well the rest of the game, including that little burst in the fourth where they came back and tied it. So, and, and on that note of uh, how they lost the game, you got to live with honestly. Marcus Smart does not make that shot almost any other time if it's not the Knicks. You know what I mean? It's, if you're going to lose, you you lose on a Marcus Smart three. And and yes, it was an open three. I understand, but at the same time, if there's any Celtic, not just on the court at that time, but on that roster that you want to take an open three, that's the guy. He's shooting 20-something percent. I'd let him shoot that with my eyes. he just just let him go, and if he makes it, he made it. you got to live with it. I, I think they would have won that game if, if Marcus Smart misses the three. I really honestly do, somehow, someway. Of but, course, um, something
0: you got to think about, too, is down the stretch, Brad Stevens is a great coach. He's yeah. a really good coach, and Hornacek's good. I think he's a good coach. I think he's doing well. But I'd put Brad Stevens up there in terms of clock management, in terms of end-of-game management with pretty much anyone. So to pull close was great. But I did get a little nervous thinking he that Hornacek would be outcoached a little bit at the end. And I don't think he necessarily was. But, no. again, that Marcus Smart shot is something you live with. I wish he wasn't so open. I wish he had a hand in his face or something. But it's painful to watch. And tying. I almost wish they never tied it up. Because then you see a tie and you're like, they're going to win like that. I mean, I was standing up off my couch. I was sweating. I was nervous. But that's a shot you live with. I think,
1: yeah, because especially too, I think I I looked back at the final play a couple of times there, that Marcus Smart Mm 3, and it really looked like after, you know, getting thrashed the entire game uh, in the paint, whether it was from Al Horford or especially Isaiah Thomas, who, I mean, that's what I put in my piece was a litany of, highlights of Isaiah Thomas either getting down and scoring or just breaking down the defense for an open three and um, that's kind of what I saw was they were just packing the paint they were sort of waiting for an Isaiah attempt at the rim or waiting for him to drop it off after they got into the paint because they packed it they left Marcus smart to pack the paint so when they kicked it out to Marcus smart I think that was basically like look if we if they get the ball out there we'll scramble to get back but it is Marcus smart like It was almost like an intentional thing, the the way I was looking at it, just from the the way the defense was set in the paint. I wish they would have done that sooner, but it is what it is. So uh, yeah, so all in all, I don't think it's a terrible loss. It happens, um, but that's sort of what I was hoping to see in those games against the Cavaliers, which we got twice blown out by 30. I was hoping to see a game where, yes, even if we lost and it's a frustrating loss and you never really want to get too hung up on is this a good loss or a bad loss, but I think this was a good loss We finally showed our chops a little bit showed we were a little bit tougher at least offensively We were able to keep pace because that's pretty much our only strength at this point is being able to score We have a good offense. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I like what I saw a little bit frustrating, but I, I wasn't as crushed Yeah, I, that
0: I do think one thing that I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing It's a bit of a conundrum is It showed that it's okay and you might disagree with me on this one. But it's okay to rely on ISO ball a little bit sometimes when your team's struggling, if Melo and Rose are both able to be ISO options. Because if Rose draws the attention like those floaters Rose was making in the lane, they those are if those can become high percentage shots, like every time he was shooting one, I was I, my stomach was dropping. But if those become high percentage shots, I think that could be a decent thing. The issue that I think lies is you don't want Carmelo to get in his head, okay, this is the only way we can win games, because a big part of that comeback was him going one-on-one. And that's going to happen sometimes. But I guess if it's the dig yourself out of a hole solution, you live with it, because either you lose by a lot or you lose by a little. But I could see it being an issue if Carmelo thinks that's the way they got to win games. But I also think it can help sometimes.
1: I don't want to get too hung up on the offense, because despite all of our splitting hairs over whether we should move the ball more, whether we should rely on our our rows and mellow isos and things of that nature. At the same time, we still have an upper echelon offense here. This is still still an offense that largely has placed within the top 15 in the league, so we're in the top half of the league. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad offense by any means, and at times they've been in or right at the top 10. So we have a good, more than capable offense, and I think part of that's been you know, Rose has been playing much better, especially offensively. You know, again, I say the same thing every single time, same disclaimer. Say what you want to say about him. Uh, defensively, but offensively, he has trended upwards almost every week or so. He's he's added another little yes. tick to to where he has gotten back to close to offensively with less value where he was at in his twenty eleven season before the injuries. So if that's the kind of production you're getting, that's fine. And the only my only thing on the isolation ball is I don't mind Carmelo isolation and I don't mind Rose isolation. I mind it when it's not a good matchup. There's ways to run yep. guys through screens to get Melo a matchup that's favorable. Because there's times when and we've talked about this in the chat and other times too, when you see a little guy get switched on to him, and then we're just like, now's the time, get it into him. Let him play a little bully ball. Make him count. Make him count. You know, but there's too many times when he settles with a, poor defend, uh, with a good defender on him already, and they send like a second guy at him, and his, his mindset is still to shoot. And that's when it becomes problematic, because that's when he gets stuck in the mindset. And he has the mindset of being that guy, so when his team's down and you have that mindset, you're always going to be trying to shoot them out of it. So that's when it becomes problematic. I don't have a problem with isolation for Rose or anybody, but you have to work... First, go through the motions to get the matchup that you want more often than not. And then do what you gotta do. Cause bully bow Mello on a mismatch, that's why we clamor for him at the four. Because in twenty twelve, that's all he was doing was he was at the four and he was eating guys alive on the post because he was too quick for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't I, I don't have a problem with isolation. But speaking of isolation to Melo, uh there was that little dust up, I guess, with uh, or supposed of dust up yeah. with uh Brandon Jennings and um Melo himself, where, you know, again, Brandon was kind of talking about there's only 11 assists in that last game against the Celtics, and that's not going to cut it. And to his point, again, although I I feel it's splitting hairs a little bit because this has been a a fairly consistent and good offense, they have been at their best when they're moving the ball and, you know, getting these wide open looks for like the the Pacers game was a good example. The second half, it was just wheeling and dealing. It was free flowing. Melo's catching and shooting, having a blast. KP's catching and shooting, having a blast. You know, guys are just having fun. It was, it was a very easy, fluid offense. And I think that's when this team will be most successful. So I think that's where uh, Jennings is coming from. But at the same time, when Melo's on, it's hard, even for me to say, you know, you got (laughs) to go, you got to go away from him. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Personally, me, um, well, I think it's also really easy for Brandon Jennings because I know part of it was he liked – I know the Daily News or New York Post or someone reported that he liked a tweet that said – because that's what reporters do now. They look through people's likes to start try to start drama and stir it up. Kurt Rambis. Yeah. He liked a tweet that said the Knicks rely way too much on the jump shot. They need to move the basketball emoji. Um, so – I think it's easy for Brandon Jennings to say that they should take less jump shots because he's shooting 37% from the field and 30% from three. So, but all his game is, his only use lies with him creating jump shots for other players. So I think it's a little bit of a, I think obviously to spend more than a couple minutes talking about a tweet that he liked is crazy for anyone. I read an entire article on it earlier today, but I think... Their offense, you're right, their offense is working. I don't. It's almost like a if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, yes, it would be great for them to be scoring, I don't know, 140 points a game to be able to outscore teams because their defense is atrocious. But there's other things that we should be, us as in we Knicks fans, us as in the Knicks, and the media should be focusing on other than these issues. Um, Mello and Brandon Jennings also proved in the offseason earlier in the season, Brandon Jennings was like, oh, I got his back, we got each other's back. So I think... There's probably less going on than we really think there is. But I see no issue with how their offense is really working right now. Because if it works, it works. And Rose, to my every time I've been on this podcast, it's every time. Like, I've just been conceding to him. But finally, he's looked great. Good. Very good. He's looked like a very good point guard. He's given him 17 points a game. He's shooting efficiently. He's shooting better than KP and Melo from the field. Obviously, he's not. most of those aren't jump shots. But when you factor in how many ridiculous layups he misses... <laughs> He's actually shooting the ball pretty well. Um, so I, I just don't have much to complain about in the offense. I think it's maybe one of those distraction tools, not that anyone's doing it intentionally, but to stop talking about the defense, which is really bad. Yeah, I, I mean, one of
1: the things that I wanted to, to mention too is having played basketball for a very long period of time in my life and having played on, on different teams, sometimes you can say things or make a comment and it's not a dust. Up. It's not. It's not a secret thing. It's not a of conspiracy course. that needs to be blown up. Like there's been plenty of teams that I've played on, and for example, I felt maybe I was getting the raw end of the deal. I wasn't touching the ball in offense. That doesn't mean I hate my teammates. Everyone sucks. I hate the way you play basketball. That's not. It, there's always a spin to it that comes with the media. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that that's necessarily their fault. I think it's more of their jobs they Mm -hmm. have stories to write and things to find especially in 2016 that's how something like a liked tweet gets reported about Mm -hmm. but um I think it's just too much made of it there was games when I used to play and I used to come out of a game or end a game in a a bad loss and you're frustrated and yeah it's it's a convenient thing to look at 11 assists and then say hey we need to take more you know not take so many jump shots and that's sort of what this feels like to me. It just seems like a, a comment in passing. It doesn't really feel like a thing. This is something probably. I'm sure that you you talk to your teammates about this. I'm course, sure you we don't go know back Mello to and
0: Brandon Jennings' relationship. We don't know if this is something they've been discussing for weeks. And this is my
1: point. You, you really think Brandon Jennings just sat in the locker room by himself, changing to his street clothes, and just kind of sulked and stewed on the way home, and then liked a tweet out of anger? Like that's not what's happening here. That's it's just not. So I, I find it silly. Again, you got to make stories, I guess, but it is something to report, I I suppose, but it just seems totally overblown in my opinion. Again, speaking about we have a, a more than capable offense, that's the only reason we're winning games right now, is because of the offense. With which is weird considering how inconsistent Rose was to start the year. And then how inconsistent Mello has been pretty much all year. And how KP started the year on just on a fantastic stretch and then he's been up and down since. But yeah, I, I don't I don't see too much uh, about that. But um, the
0: fact that they're outscoring teams when two guys have maybe less than three or four times this year synced up together and both had good games at the same time is pretty remarkable. And I don't think it's something worth complaining about for sure. I think it's something worth praising, if anything. It, it's weird because, and this kind of
1: segues nicely to our next point um, the year in review here. But it's weird because for a team that has, I think, overachieved
0: or succeeded,
1: or exceeded expectations for most people. Because a lot of of people had them, I think including myself, had them, most of us, had them either missing the playoffs, we had them, if they made it, they just barely got in. And for pretty much the whole month of December, they've been somewhere between the 7th seed and the 3rd seed, and then they just kind of keep shifting in between. But they haven't really fallen out of that. They've been kind of firmly planted. So I guess it's it's just odd for a team that has exceeded expectations to still feel like they they they're underachieving too. It, it's it's so I don't think I've felt this way about a team a Knicks team specifically in a while.
0: Well, it's because Rose's dumbass keeps putting these high expectations in the headline. Like today, did you see what he said today? He I have out, not. He came out, let me find the the exact quote, I don't know, but it was something along the lines of once we get to the playoffs, we're going to be a team to be messed with. Get to the playoffs first, Derek Rose. Like, secure yourself a spot in the playoffs. And I understand these comments are taken – like we just (coughs) talked about. These comments are taken out of context sometimes, and there's suggestive questions where you really can't answer something non-confrontational. But Derrick Rose has never struggled with that. Derrick Rose has struggled with keeping his mouth shut. Just get there first. Act like you've been there if you get there. They haven't even proven to be that they're going to secure a spot in the playoffs in general. They're one bad streak away from being out. So. I think comments like this are what then lead to confusion and fans because every single I don't think one of us when we all did our season predictions at the Knicks World not to say that we're the end all be all or we're any sort of crazy experts but I think I may have picked the most wins with 43.
1: Yeah, I think I know for a fact I had 40. I had 40 and I really talked myself I talked myself into because I guess I pers- I kind of predicted this happening in the sense that not that they'd be a winning team or in the middle of the pack, even in the playoffs. But I predicted that, Hey, I, you know what? Look at just using my common sense without getting too, uh, too into depth into the numbers. But I just felt like there's no way two years removed from an injury, still at 27 years old in a new location and a contract year that Derek Rose was going to continue to be so incredibly ass. And that was, for <laughs> well, and, and for a guy who's going to play as many minutes as he was going to play, I just really thought about it. And I was like, Normally, I'd be all over being pessimistic. That's all I've done for the past five or six years with this team. But I was like, you know, just it didn't make sense. Like, I couldn't accurately predict that they would be a 35-win team because Rose is going to be the same player from the last two years. It just didn't make sense. So I said, he's going to be better somehow, I think, on both sides of the ball, even if it's just a a little smidgen. And I think that little smidgen is going to be worth those extra four or five wins in my prediction. And... Kind of. That's where we're at. It's defensively, he still hasn't been good, but offensively, he has been good. I think it's sort of safe to say that now, without you know NBA Twitter lashing out at you, he actually has been good offensively. His he true has. shooting's up. His his field goal percentage is up. His e field goal percentage is up. He's not taking a ton of jump shots. It's mostly floaters and at the rim or nothing at all. So he's kind of gotten smarter and better. And we like to make fun of a common Knicks Twitter a little bit, but. That was something that I will give credit words to was it might have been blind faith on their part, really blind faith. But they said, oh, be patient. Let him get into his uh, routine, his rhythm a little bit. And sometimes you close your eyes, you swing and you hit a home run. Look, <laughs> a, a broke clock is right twice a day. So that's very true. So, um, yeah, so that's been sort of for the year of review. I think uh, most of us, to some degree, were wrong about Derek Rose to that extent. I think he's overachieved or at least gotten back to to where he used to be offensively or close. And I think with that, the team has sort of over uh, kind of exceeded expectations as well. And um, in hand with that, uh, Chris Stapps played extraordinarily well. The first 15 or so games when Rose and Carmelo were largely awful, and that helped us kind of stay the course a little bit. And then when Chris Stapps went down a little bit, Rose and Melo at times stepped it up.
0: So... Oh, and Kyle O'Quinn has become a player. So big time, a, a legitimate. The fact that we're talking about Kyle O'Quinn as a legitimate trade piece, whether it's for a trade that is reasonable or not, whether the Knicks even need to make a trade is a topic of debate. Any trade, but the fact that Kyle O'Quinn in today's NBA with the type of player he is, because there's no, there's not much stretch to Kyle O'Quinn's game. But the fact that the player he is, he's out there hustling, he's doing their job, and he's finally. I know our first podcast that I was on, I said, I just want Knicks bench players that can do something. I want them to be able to come in and do something. I don't need it where you keep your eyes closed, you cross your fingers, and you sit there and wait four minutes and hope that the lead doesn't balloon to 30. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's he's led this bench of Hernan Gomez and Kuz and these other guys, even Justin Holiday, who come off the bench. He's led them, and they have they have a second unit. And this is a team that hasn't had a true second unit in years. So that's a huge surprise because I could not have predicted five solid players off the bench.
1: You know what he kind of reminds me of though? Um maybe not reminds me of, but PJ Tucker. Let me get to this slightly long winded point. Because PJ Tucker was kind of an odds and ends play. He was just kind of like a misfit player, right? Like he's an undersized, strong player. He can kind of shoot, but he doesn't really fit at the three. He doesn't really fit at the four. But as we kind of keep getting into this small ball world and it keeps sort of evolving and X a guy who's embraced that, last year we had a very closed-minded approach to the lineups and to the offense, right? So, mm-hmm. Kylo Quinn, despite being somewhat versatile, he wasn't able to really display most of these things because he was sort of slammed into a, a very square big man role on a very limited offense. And I think this year it's a little bit more free flowing and even though he has still not been spectacular defensively you know we're seeing more of an aggressiveness on the boards we're seeing him sort of establish himself offensively it seems like there's actually a role for him in the offense where he, where what he does is he's either getting second chance points or he's just hitting a mid-range jump shot and it seems like when he comes in he's really effective doing these things now whereas last year It was either like we got one good game every two and a half months, and then he was kind of relegated to the bench, and we didn't really hear from him again. So I think part of that is just Hornacek. I think this is a guy that fits for Hornacek, and he's become reliable because of that because we see him at the four. We see him stretch the floor a little bit too. He provides some good spacing. And a lot of the the lineups, I put this on Twitter the other day, a lot of the lineups with him in have pretty good ratings overall. They do. You know, so – it, it, I, I don't know, I just I, I like I like what I'm seeing out of him and it's kind of getting to that point where if we think we're a win now team, do you entertain, do you gauge what you could possibly get for a Kyle O'Quinn? And I'm gonna say no because I think he's pro- he's proven to be somewhat valuable in, in the fact that Noah has not been. You know, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would. I would like to move him, despite I'm sure that there's been a, an, an increased interest there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I don't know.
0: And yeah, in terms of year and review or 2016 in review, he's Kyle Quinn has been really good. And do I want? The Knicks to finally trade someone who's fun off the bench? No, of course not. Do I think the Knicks could do anything realistic right now? Of course, we joke with like the ESPN trade machine and everything, where you can go and trade 11 of your bench players and end up with Carl Anthony Towns and Steph Curry, and that's fun to do and all. But do I realistically see them being able to get someone for Kyle Quinn? that is going to make them win a championship this year? No. No. Of course not. Win a championship in two years? No. Win a championship in three years? No, probably not. Because Kyle O'Quinn's not going to make any team win a championship. That's how trade works. You try to get the best, or you try to dump a contract. Um, but I do think if Kyle O'Quinn's gone, we're going to see Joe Kim Noah playing more minutes, unless they're going to get a big quality big. Could I rationalize it for a high trade pick? Yes. I, that is the only thing that I could really rationalize trading anyone of decency right now for because there's value obviously in winning a national championship but I'm a fan and there's value in watching an enjoyable team and I want to have that for the rest of the season and whether yeah. that's selfish or not I'm enjoying watching a decent team right now the amount of less complaining you see on Nick's Twitter in general is incredible people are happy there's decent games of course you're gonna be sad when they lose but there's good moments and Kyle L. Quinn is all part of them and it's fun and now to go to the bad for the year interview, him Noah, I can't anymore. Like I've completely given up, I think. I've completely given up on the notion of him being an impact player for them at any time.
1: I, I sort of agree there too because especially this whole year with our podcast so far, Anthony has been uh, sort of walking me off the ledge and just saying 30 games, 30 games, 30 games. And uh, we are at 30 games. Yep. And sans what, maybe six games out of these 30? He, he's been atrocious just bad and I think we've sort of beat that dead horse already but he has just not been good
0: well I remember old. people saying that during the time that they were signing him there was the rumors floating about about Dwight Howard too and people were like I'd, I remember people saying they'd rather joke him Noah than Dwight Howard and of course Dwight got three years 70 and Noah got four years 70 and I'm not sure how all of that would have worked I'm not sure if the Courtney Lee signing then would have been able to happen obviously things would have been different but in retrospect people laughing at the idea of them signing Dwight Dwight's looked okay this year. <laughs> so, Dwight's I just think fine. it couldn't have been worse. It just and Dwight's Dwight's an enigma in his own. No, he was a great player and he hasn't lost any of his skill set and he's just not anymore and I can't explain that. I don't think anyone can explain that. But he gives a team something. And I was even, Christmas Day, I watched the most basketball. I've watched him one day. And you see like Zaza Pachulia under the basket. And I'm like, Zaza Pachulia is giving a team more than Joe Kim Noah is. And I'm watching all these guys who are not even that good of basketball players. And they just don't hurt their teams. And yeah. he hurts. It It's gotten to the point where I can deal with neutral. I can deal with someone going out there and neutralizing. But he's been hurting them. When he's out there, they are a worse team. And that's a scary thing. And I don't know how you combat that. No, and I
1: really do agree because I'm sort of at the same point. Because one thing, I'd say I'm probably a little bit more active than most of us on NBA Twitter. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I noticed was everybody likes knee-jerk reactions. And then we always warn about the small sample size and then fall for them anyway. For example, in the beginning of the year, Derrick Derrick Rose was still not good. Instead of just saying, hey, let's be patient with Derrick Rose, we all jump to, it's still Derrick Rose. This is who he is. The Knicks are silly for making this move. And sort of he's gotten to be pretty good. And then it's it's frustrating because now you can't use the same excuse anymore for Joe Kim Noah, where it was like, hey, because initially the same, I, I sent these takes out, everyone sent these takes out. Joe Kim Noah just looks washed. And a lot of guys were legitimately sad because they're just like, we really like Joe and Joe looks awful. And you want to practice patience and not get caught on the small sample size. And I was hesitant to call him just straight up washed initially but we're almost halfway into the season now. That is sort of the largest sample size that you really need. Can he turn it on after the All-Star break? Who knows? Maybe. There's four years of this deal. Maybe he reinvents himself somehow. You never really know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But as of right now, he is washed. It is. There's no argument for Joe Kim-Noah at this point other than he just has to be better. That's it. There, there's not one specific thing when he's bad on all fronts.
0: And I think the really scary thing is when you're paying someone seventy to a million, and your team would be completely better not with someone else. Like, of course, it would be great if we had uh, Dwight Howard instead of Joe Kim Noah. Or if we had another impact center instead of Joe Kim Noah, but we, I think we'd be fine. Maybe not better, but in the <coughs> same exact boat at least, just without him existing, without him on the team. Yeah, we'd be fine. So that's what's really scary. And I like this. And every time Kyle O'Quinn has a good game, it makes Joe Kim Noah look worse. And we t- were able to tie, like you were saying, we were able to tie Rose and Noah together in the beginning. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to get used to them, to figure out the system. They're new to New York, they're new to this team. But, Joe, but Derek Rose, excuse me, isn't struggling anymore. So Joe Kim Noah's time is kind of up in that regard, too. So every time one of those guys has a good game, it just makes Joe Kim Noah look so much worse.
1: Yeah, and last thing on this uh, year in review before we really move forward, Um, I really do think that we probably, outside of the Joakim Nova deal, which now looks indefensible, I will say that the Derrick Rose trade looks less and less and less bad by each game that goes by. And not just because Derrick Rose is playing well; it's it's because Jerry and Grant fell off the face of the earth in Chicago, also, right? Mm -hmm. So, so now you are pretty much we got. You have to look at the overall value too, because we we laugh about Justin Holiday being pegged a a throw-in. They called him, you know. Justin Holiday, again, on a lot of the lineups, and I think and I made sure I looked at this for over a substantial amount of minutes. Justin Holiday is in nearly all of our best defensive lineups that have played over 15 minutes total so far so pretty much any t any lineup that we've had that has played a quarter together he's been in and they've been pretty damn good defensively and now you have that with rose playing the way he is offensively at least and you look at it and now this is i don't want to start dubbing this a Knicks win on this trade but I think Robin Lopez probably would have been more important to this team as presently constructed. I think we would have won a little bit more games just from having a sturdier, better defense. But it's starting to get to the point where you're getting so much value out of what Rose is doing offensively and what Holiday is able to bring to you as as a guy off the bench. And not just offensively, not just shooting jump shots, but defensively as well. And it's, it's really starting to look less and less like we can't... My point is we can't just keep clowning Phil over that trade now because it actually makes sense to some degree. Like, you actually see... I don't think anyone thought Joe Kimmel was going to be this bad. No, I think we I thought think he'd I, be I bad. I
0: don't think anyone did. I think people thought he's washed, it was a joke, and it was a joke, and you were able to rationalize looking at his stats because he was only playing such he was playing such limited minutes last year. And but he was hampered by injury given, all year. Exactly, but he's healthy, he was given the chance, but the, now the Knicks, they pull him early and they don't put him back in. But no one notices. That's the scary part. No one's noticing no one's noticing when he's on the court or when he's off the court.
1: He's invisible. And and I think that's sort of the point I'm trying to make with with uh, the year in review here for Phil is we we clowned him for Joe Kimnova. We clowned, uh, clowned him for that Rose trade. And I'm starting to get to the point. I, at least the plan makes sense now because you, you had to really look at it. For him to make that move, he had to look at it and go, OK, I believe we're going to get something out of Derrick Rose. I think he's going to play better. Somehow he's going to play better. And he has right mm-hmm. to get Justin Holiday. You're saying, well, we needed perimeter defense. We need somebody who's sturdy off the bench, and he's actually done that in his biggest role, arguably his biggest role in the NBA yet. So he's he's doing that, and you're pretty much giving up that for Robin Lopez. But the trade off was okay. Robin Lopez has been good. He's on a good contract, but we're gonna sign Joakim Noah, and we think maybe if he's not as good, he's gonna give us something. I think that's the plan, and you got basically two thirds of that plan down. And I think if we have gotten Joe Noah to be even seventy percent of what he used to be, I think we probably would be closer to the twenty win mark than we are now. I think we're at sixteen mm-hmm. and fourteen. Yeah. I think I think we probably would have been somewhere around like nineteen and twelve ish. You know, nineteen and eleven. So I, I'm just kind of on record here. Sort of. I, I don't know if I want to apologize, but I would probably like to admit that I was I did clown Phil most of the summer and most of the beginning of the season, but. I can at least see where he was going with now because some of his plan has started to work. And I think that's, it's important to point out when it is working and as much as we miss Rolo and, and we do not like Joe, um, I think he needs to get a little bit, Phil needs to get a little bit more credit than probably we've given him for
0: some part of this working. Game. I do wish he made a run at Dwight Howard. I'm a big Dwight Howard guy, which is insane. I but know, you brought up but. an
1: interesting point about if we would have signed Dwight, maybe we wouldn't have room to sign Courtney Lee.
0: And Courtney Lee's been important, too. It's a domino effect. He has been important. He needs to shoot more, but he has been important. Once his confidence level gets there, he's shown to be a competent player, a good player. I just don't think he knows his role yet. But could you imagine walking into a starting lineup with Derek Rose, Christoph Porzingis, and Carmelo Anthony and thinking, let me get seven or eight shots of a game. No, you're thinking I'm going to take shots when I am wide open.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's an excellent point because... I think to start the year, the preseason, he was atrocious. And then just the first like five or six games, he just was not good. And then after that, he started to feel himself out a little bit. And that's sort of, I guess, the role of a glue guy in a sense. Like you're sort of the last guy to figure out what your role is because you need to make sure, you know, Carmelo Anthony's good and happy and it's working for him. And Derrick Rose is good and happy, it's working for him. And Chris Epps is good and happy, it's working for him. And then you're like, okay, now after everyone's good and you see what everybody else's role is, if you're the consummate glue guy, now it's, okay, now what exactly is it that this team needs? What is it that I can bring every night now that I know everybody's role? And it seems like he's starting to understand that a little bit more. And he's he's been largely our, our most consistent player. I don't think that's even debatable anymore. Mm-hmm. He's He's been, for a while it was Chris Stapps, and then since then it's just been kind of Courtney Lee. Everyone's been, had a couple bumps here and there, and he's just been—he'll
0: hit a corner three, and you're like, "Oh!" It doesn't surprise you when he hits a shot, which is a nice feeling to have.
1: It's a good, reliable guy, and and I don't think we've seen many like really bad or cold nights from him. He's just—he's been a constant, reliable piece there on this roster that has so many question marks. It's nice to have one surefire guy. So, I mean, I know Matt touched on this a little bit. So um, I'm just trying to pull that piece up now. No problem. But uh but while I'm while I'm waiting for this, I mean <coughs> sorry. You're fine. But um yeah, Matt Kind of just touch on it, kind of everything we're talking about. That he's just slowly flown under the radar most of his whole career. I think last year, when he split time with Memphis and with the Hornets, was probably the first time he was uh, he was under the public eye a little bit more. Those are two playoff teams from two separate conferences, and I think actually being able to watch him on a more consistent basis, you know, he was actually in a team that was interesting. I I think that was important. And, you know, last year, I I thought Charlotte was actually going to take a bigger hit this year without him, to be honest, because he actually did play a a pretty large role with them last year. And,
0: um, I I think the thing with Courtney Lee too, that you could see is it's kind of, He's one of those intangible type guys that doesn't necessarily show up in the advanced stats. I'm not a huge analytics advanced stats guy. I'm really not. I think they're valuable. Um, But when it comes to determining whether or not someone's valuable to a team, I don't think it's appropriate to use just those, at least. And I think one big thing that you could just tell from watching the games, or maybe you haven't noticed, maybe you have, Carmelo's not going to make the extra pass to a guy that he doesn't trust to make a shot. I remember a couple years ago, Carmelo had one of the highest and this is why they are tracking these stats. I do not know whose job it is to track these crazy stats. The hockey assists. But the hockey assists, but the potential hockey assists.
1: Hmm.
0: And Carmelo had one of the highest hockey assist rates in the league and one of the highest potential assists. It was passing to a guy. I don't remember the exact stat. I haven't seen it since then. But it was Pat, I think it was Chris Herring of course using it. But passing to guys who were then taking open shots. Carmelo had super high rates. He was up there with LeBron and these guys that you would never expect, but the Knicks were hellacious, and they didn't have a guy who could shoot the ball. And to get back to my point, Carmelo hasn't been afraid in the last couple games, I should say a handful of games, to make that extra pass to Courtney Lee, and I think it's benefited them. All of a sudden, you're like, oh my God, the Knicks can work the ball. The Knicks can make that extra pass, and they're swinging the ball around the perimeter. They get it inside. Kyle Quinn shown that he can make a pass from <sighs> in the interior to the exterior. And then all of a sudden you have an open shot. Justin holiday has been making open shots when he's on the floor. Courtney Lee's been making open shots. Carmelo's mostly made his open shots. Ironically enough, Chris Stops hasn't been, but he's going to get there. That's not a big-time struggle. And even Derrick Rose has been making some jump shots. Yep. So if you get these guys to make their open shots, and you just need to have that confidence as Carmelo, because the ball ends up in his hand most of the times. It's not going to go through a possession without touching the Carmelo. So if he's comfortable making that pass to you and you're comfortable to knock the shot down, then that's crazy value that the Knicks haven't seen in years, honestly, from someone.
1: Well, touching on that point, too, because when you have good guys, good, reliable guys, like Chris Stepps largely has been a reliable guy to pass to. He's as efficient as he is because the ball is in Bellows' hands most of the time, and it leads to open good looks for KP. But another thing, too, is uh, having Courtney Lee is— is sort of underappreciated as well because the last time we saw Melo really trust his teammates and it paid off for the entire team was probably 2012, 2013. Because he had, you know, Jason Kidd out there, he had, um, wasn't Novak still on that team? Yep, Novak was still in that team. Uh, JR Smith was there. I mean, even Schumpert was okay at the time, so he had guys that he kind of trusted on, on most fronts to. Pass the ball to. And because of that, I, I think many looked at it at that time like that was his best career over, overall. He led the Knicks to 54 wins. This was at uh, in the middle of the Miami Heat big three era. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of coming up that close. Because I think they were the two seed that year,
0: weren't yep. they? And people so, have seen – like you've seen Melo's stats balloon. Like his assist stats even just last year with Kristaps, his stats ballooned. He was the only player in the NBA last year to lead their team in points, rebounds, and assists. And the fact that Carmelo Anthony's leading a team in assists—that's troubling on its own front. But he averaged over four assists a game last year, which isn't terrible for a small forward who plays the way he does. No, it's, and it's he really just trusted good. trusted and he hasn't had a cons- as consistent a Kristaps as he had throughout the year last year, at least in the beginning of the season. But and his assist number is only two point nine this year. And I can't completely explain why that is, but I think it's because they have a better point guard. a better. The Mello was bringing the ball up the court a lot last year. Yeah. So I think now that they have a decent point guard, not that Rose is an expert facilitator, but the fact that they have a decent point guard, obviously Carmelo's assist numbers are going to drop a little bit. But at the same time, trust is key and trust is huge. And if Courtney Lee can become a trustworthy guy and grow with this team, he's on a four-year contract. They gave him a four-year, $50 million contract. It's some guy that they scooped up for one year. So he's committed to New York. As long as New York can commit to him, then I see no reason he's not going to be a solid starter for all four of those years.
1: No, absolutely. And the biggest thing with Courtney Lee is, I mean, you could word it almost any number of different ways, but it really is the little things because he scores a lot of points just cutting to the basket or setting a quick slip Mm -hmm. screen and then just diving to the hoop. And then most of the time, You know, this team has been finding him for these shots or wide open in the corner. So he's really starting to feel it out. I mean, you can it it really is huge. It really is underappreciated. It's not flashy like, you know, Matt was saying this in his piece. It's not flashy stuff. He's not going to go out and get you 15 and 10 every night. But he's a guy that'll give you what you need. He'll give you 14, 15 if, if you need it. We've seen those games where he steps up. Yeah. He'll give he'll give you four or five points if that's what the offense is calling for that day, if everyone else is hitting. So you can't get caught up in, in maybe the raw numbers of it, but it, it really is more of an eye test thing. It really is more of are we seeing a consistent effort for him to move off the ball? Are we seeing a consistent effort for him to cut, set these screens, do a little bit of the dirty work that, that guards or, or even guys at the three sometimes have trouble doing? And he's kind of done a lot of those things, and because of that, yeah, I mean, the the team trusts him, especially Carmelo, who's a hard guy for, for players to earn their trust. I mean, we've only seen this a handful of times in his career, where it looked like he really trusted his team, probably mm-hmm. 2009, yep. uh, with the Nuggets, when they went to the Western Conference Finals.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd probably say people 2012. Forget, people forget when Melo went to the Western Conference Finals. People forget. And <laughs> okay.
1: hey, you know, 2012 with the Knicks, I mean, that was a very, very good basketball team. And... Even now, it's starting to look like, while he's been inconsistent, and sometimes he hunts for a little bit too much, he really is trusting these guys, and I think having unselfish guys like a Courtney Lee, that, that's so important for the chemistry of the team, and it's, it's yeah,
0: and it's fantastic. Over, and I'm looking at Courtney Lee's stats right now, he's outperforming what he has for his career, and he's never, people in the Knicks are saying, shoot, 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 but... For his career, he averaged 8.2 field goals attempt a game. He's at 8.5. For his career, he shoots 45%. He's a little above that this year. And for his career, he shoots 38.8% from three, and he's shooting 46. He's almost 10% higher than his career average there. So it's easy for us to say, shoot the ball more, shoot the ball more. But he's got to be thinking, guys, I'm playing better than I ever have, shooting how many times I am. Yeah. So it's something he's going to have to figure out. It seems to be something that the Knicks want and anyone who's to look at the stats and just look at the tape would know maybe this is a guy who needs to get a couple more shots a game but that'll come yeah i'm confident that yeah. it will yeah
1: no he's a, he's a big piece of this team going forward too so the, the biggest thing is for a guy like him you want him to be comfortable in whatever role he decides to settle in for himself and mm-hmm. you don't want to i don't think you want to tamper with that too much but uh sort of on that note uh i, I did put out a piece the other day Mm-hmm. yesterday about contenders and pretenders and um, I really had to shrink this down a lot because I could have probably written this far longer there shrink was a it, lot it was to pretty, get into it was
0: pretty long anyway so I'm impressed Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That, well there was a lot that I deleted too because you know I, I didn't really feel like going long form for it because at some point you could only say for what they need to improve you could only really say well they don't have LeBron James so many different ways yeah. so that became problematic like at some point at some point what that piece comes down to is in short the roster is not currently constructed to be a contender it just isn't there is a a cap on talent there and i think the only way to really make this team better at this point because i don't think many trades are going to happen especially trades that we would find as solutions I was trying to just tackle it more of what specifically can they do to shore these things up. And, for example, I put up, I think, four or five highlights of Isaiah Thomas just getting into the paint. And I found it interesting that, for example, Derek Rose does not guard the pick and roll well, right? We know this. Nope. However, I looked at the, the the advanced stats, and this is sometimes why you, you have to take these stats with a grain of salt, is that the Knicks actually defend the pick and roll according to the numbers, pretty well they're about middle of the pack in terms of uh what the ball handler does with the ball per possession and what the roll man does with the ball per possession but what that's that stat does not track is the fact that derrick rose allows the defense to break down therefore i think one of the highlights was isaiah thomas just cutting in draws everybody to him kicks out to a wide open guy in the corner for a three that's a part of you not defending the pick and roll well it's a part of it, and it's a part of it that doesn't get tracked. So yes, Derek Rose didn't allow a bucket on that. You know, uh, Joe Kim Noah or, or Kyle O'Quinn or Chris Saps didn't allow a bucket on that. Someone allowed a bucket in the corner stemming off of a pick and roll. So at some point, my piece is basically they have to be what they are not. And that's sort of what I tried to wrap in at the end is I can say, you know, be better on the boards. Play better defensively. You know, Joe Noah, be a better basketball player. But at the same time, like we don't have anybody that's going to outwork Tristan Thompson on the Cavaliers. We yep. don't have anybody that's going to be able to shut down Kyrie Irving. Or we don't have anybody that's going to be able to stop uh, a Kemba or an Isaiah Thomas. And most teams have that trouble, that issue too. But um, sort of, and this is why I want to ask your opinion on this, Brian uh, Gibberman brought it up when I had a discussion with him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it was basically, this team needs to, at this point, understand that they are not good defensively and they will not be good defensively or even under the boards because they are who they are. Now let's maximize the offense. We have a good offense. We have the the capabilities to be an elite offense. So now he's saying five, maybe seven minutes a half. You plug KP in at the five, know that you're not going to be good at the, uh, at defense or at even rebounding. Maybe hope that he can protect the rim a little bit better from the five. So he's not on the perimeter and just maximize the offense. Let them run out, do what they got to do, get up and down a little bit more. It puts Mellow at the four, puts KP at the five. So what are your thoughts on just sort of, a, I mean, it can't get worse defensively. We are second to last in almost every defensive category. So you're throwing caution to the wind and just doubling down on offense.
0: I think that's fine. I think that's exactly what they would have to do. I think people forget that the Warriors ran lineups that were horribly inefficient on defense last year. The Knicks are not the Warriors. Don't yell at The like, Knicks Twitter, whoever listens to this, don't yell at me. But the Knicks are obviously not the Warriors. But there's no reason that they can't perform as efficiently on offense. Carmelo Anthony is still an elite scorer. Christoph Porzingis is well on his way. He is a catch-and-shoot, at least, elite scorer. He's becoming an elite scorer. Derrick Rose, at times, has looked like an elite scorer. Derrick Rose, while he's not overall, if all factors included, a great point guard or a top point guard in the NBA. If there's a guy that you need to just get the ball to as a point guard and score, Derrick Rose is one of them. Carmelo is still that guy. Chris Tops at the five especially, is that guy. So I see no reason to fight against that. It's not a strategy that's going to win you an incredible amount of games, and it's not a strategy you're going to be able to run for 48 minutes every single game. But I see – I have no rational argument against it because – here you go, you can and I said this in our chat and I forget I think I said it on Twitter as well. It's great that Courtney Lee is a good perimeter defender, or Justin Holly is a good perimeter defender, and he could shut down one guy, maybe for a handful of minutes a game. It's not gonna do anything to make up for how horrible everyone else on the court is. It's just not going to. There's the basketball is not a position where one maybe an elite rim protector like KP, who has proven to be elite at protecting the rim, that hasn't hidden how horrible he is tracing a guy around the floor and trying to stop a guy outside the elbow. And that's not his right. fault. He's twenty one years old, he's seven foot three. He's not gonna be able to guard someone who's an athletic six eight or an athletic six nine at power forward. That's just not how it works he's that and that's okay and that's what we're trying to figure out and that's what we're trying to tell, tell each other and tell people on twitter it's okay he's not there yet it's okay that they're not going to be a good defensive team and i think brian makes a good point there that it is okay they're not going to be a good defensive team so let's maximize the offense let's do what we can let's push the ball let's you get an open look take it who cares why are you going to run a set just go kp gets himself an open look no one's going to argue with kp or mellow taking an open shot if rose can become consistent in the lane making those floaters that's a whole nother and the that center needs to double down and he could dump the ball down to kp if he, kp could prove to be a little more reliable on the block but kp's shooting i don't know if anyone's tracking crossover one step jumper percentages but kp's been efficient there and he really it's gotta has. be astronomical it's, got, it's gotta be it's somewhere hovering around 100 percent so <laughs> because truly he has been unstoppable in that setting Melo still has what I would consider one of the five quickest first steps in the NBA. And if he's sure. able to double down and Melo has his own issues of weird not getting fouls called because he loves to double clutch and he loves to, they just assume he's going to get two more rebounds and then score anyway. But if Melo is able to go, take that first step, get to the basket, make his layups, and that's where the Jokem Noah factor comes in. Keep and Noah off the court because he can't make layups. He can't. He misses layups. He misses wide – and Melo is Mister the king of missing wide open layups as well. At least he gets his rebound most of the time. But I see no issue with just swallowing your pride on defense, playing defense still. But, like, I feel like this Knicks team, it's a crazy thing to say. I feel like they'd be better in a zone. And it would be, like, an unprecedented move. But I really think they'd be better if they were to just sit back. And I'm a big Syracuse basketball fan, so I'm obviously biased. But if they were to just sit back in a zone – and try to close out on shooters and just put two guys under the basket to rebound, I think they'd be better off, honestly. Okay. Because Carmelo's Carmelo's capable of covering an 8-foot circumference of an area. (laughs) He's not going to cover a guy 101.
1: The only reason reason it it wouldn't work, the last time we saw a zone in an NBA game was probably... I'm sure you see it for a possession or so every here and there. I'm, I'm sure no one never uses it, but... The last time I really remember seeing it was when the Mavs used it in 2011 in the finals to cover LeBron and the Heat.
0: Yeah, and basically ran a box and one on him.
1: Yeah, and that was the last real time I saw it. And the only reason you're going to run into some trouble now is because everybody shoots threes at such a high volume. The zone is notorious for allowing threes, especially uh, on, on sort of the, the wings there. So... Mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, I wish, but it's doubtful. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all on board for maximizing the offense here. You got to do something, is the point. Defensively, 30 games in, we're almost halfway in, and they sort of are who they are. So, especially if you're going to continue to pedal out Joe Kivanoa in, in these large minutes in the starting lineup. So, I think sort of Brian kind of really hit the, the nail on the head there. I mean, you just got to—you are good at one thing. It's scoring, so— Go and continue to score and maybe do it better by putting guys in an optimal position because some of these close games, if you think about it, if we're scoring some more points, you're not in that position at the end you have you sort of like a death lineup. you're mm-hmm. just going a quick burst, you throw it out there for the the warriors don't use the death lineup all game. They use it at times to go on a run. and I think you gotta maybe try to mirror again, we're not the we're not the warriors we're we are not a super team. We are not an elite team. but to get closer to that to maybe fool people, you got to use your optimal lineups when you can for the and thing that you're good at. I
0: can't confidently say that the Knicks are the best offensive middle-of-the-pack-slash-lower-pack team in the like, I'm confident that they're—because they look great offensively at times. They really do. Yeah. And in terms of individual player talent ability, they are great. They're still figuring it out, obviously. But Melo also needs to be more consistent, and I'll, I'll say that.
1: Well, I mean, that sort of goes for a lot of guys, too. Yeah. KP has to maintain some consistency, too. Hopefully— We'll start seeing that a little bit more. Rose overall has been pretty consistent. He since really has. <laughs> that first ten or so games. I yeah. mean, I, I know I'm sort of beating the dead horse now, but we talked about this in the chat a little bit. We talked about it uh, on the pod a few times. But he, it, it's gotten to the point where I'm not really surprised anymore. He's actually just, I'm sort of expecting a, a pretty good showing out of him now because the beginning of the year he was forcing a lot. He's not even really forcing a lot anymore. He's just kind of. When it's there, it's it's a floater, it's a wide open shot, or he's right at the layup. Uh, it's certainly the best the option. Hoop.
0: It's certainly the best option sometimes because you don't tr- some. You can have a lineup where you don't trust two or three of the guys out there to shoot a shot, so you're like, you know, Rose take it do your thing.
1: I, I just the only thing I wish now, b- before we stop on this point is, I, I wish now we start to see a little bit more of the catch and shoot, uh, not catch and shoot the kickouts because yes. now he's actually he's been so successful scoring around the hoop. Now you can keep defenses honest. Now it's not like oh well he's just gonna go and throw up a reckless shitty layup and it's not gonna go. Now you actually have to worry about him scoring because he's been so efficient down there. So now maybe start game planning for that. Get these you know little hammer action on the sides there and try to get some open threes and see what happens. But that being said, we got a pretty difficult stretch coming up. I would say very Haw- Hawks. It's it's some road games and and the Hawks have been. Very good as of late. After they tailed off, they've now kind of sprung back up into the playoff picture. And then after that, the Pelicans with Drew Holiday haven't been a joke anymore. The Rockets are just a death machine offensively, so there's that. And uh, then we got the Magic, so it eases up a little bit. So what are you looking forward to or looking away from in fear?
0: I think, let me just look so that's... You know, I was looking at the schedule, and I was just, every day, I obviously, I know when the Knicks games are coming up, but you forget, you're a busy guy, dates get confused in your head. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of teams playing back-to-backs, there's a lot of teams playing a lot of games in one week, why aren't the Knicks, and boom, here it is. <laughs> so, realistically, I'd be happy if they went 2-2, two and two. I'd be thrilled, actually, if they went 2-2, two and two. I'd be very sad if they lost to the Magic. I think they can beat the Hawks. I am really scared to see what Anthony Davis is going to do, and I'm more scared to see what James Harden's going to do. But the NBA now, it's a better league. It's There's these guys who are now splitting up, and a lot of teams have one really good player that's able to destroy you, and that's really individual success. We talked last on the last pod about how guys have their career nights against the Knicks. The Knicks are the team to go play and have your blow-up night against. So they're going to have to deal with that. I'd be happy with 2-2. Two and two. I'm really scared of the Pelicans and the Rockets, but I think the Hawks and the Magic are both very beatable teams. I'm.
1: I'd like to to not be worried about the Pelicans, but I am. I, I feel, I feel like this is one of those stretches that it's going to be sort of testing us. I think this might be like a one and three stretch. To be honest with you, I, I think, I think yeah, maybe hopefully we win that that Magic game. But these are some tough games. The, the Hawks are kind of good at what we're not. They have some good interior strength and. You know, Schroeder's not a joke. Schroeder's a hard guy to cover, and it is in Atlanta, so that's typically been a home game for the Knicks, but this is a pretty good Hawks team, and they've been better recent, at least with their even attendance, because this has been a pretty good stretch for them with Budenholzer. But uh, I'm just worried. I'm always worried about Western Conference teams on the road, not because that they're difficult teams to face, per se, mm-hmm. but because it's just when you go such a distance for the Denver games, even the uh, Phoenix games, is a good example. Th- these aren't difficult teams; these are pretty much bad teams. And you're just going so far. You're on the road for X amount of time, and sometimes it's a back-to-back, and then you just you lose a gimme, you lose a good game. There's no reason we should have lost to Denver. There's no reason we should have lost to the Suns, but we did. It it happens. So I just feel like that's what happens when you look at like a game like the Pelicans. We should not lose to the Pelicans. But if we lose, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, it's such a bad lot. Yeah, it's just whenever it's a Western Conference team like that, uh, I'm never really floored if if we drop one. The Rockets game scares me the most. I think that's sort of a given because James Harden is unguardable to everyone in the league already. So there's no bullshit strategies we could throw out here like, oh, what do we got to do to stop the Rockets? Because that's not a thing. You just sort of... Let Jesus take the wheel there, and whatever happens, happens. And but. I
0: think that's a perfect example of a game where you run that offense, where you just try to outscore him. And it's not going to be y- easy to do. Y- it you because got you're it. not going to neutralize him, and then you're going to, what, suffer and penalize yourself on offense by leaving kim No on the floor because you're still trying to rationalize that he's a good defender? No. You pull him out of there. You... Just hope for the best. You box out. We just need guys to start slamming around down low, boxing out. That's the only way you're going to beat that team is just trying to outscore them. There's no chance they're going to shut that. Unless James Harden shuts himself down, which used to be a James Harden thing. You never knew if he was going to shoot himself out of a game, but it's not anymore.
1: He's just fucking rolling at this point. It is unbelievable. And it's funny, too, because we make such a big deal about the, the Westbrook triple doubles, and rightfully so, but Harden's doing just about the same thing. Like It's not triple doubles. But he's, I mean, the assists are at such a high rate now. He's scoring, it looks like every night out he's scoring 30 points. 30 and, I don't and, even 10, know, 30 and 10, 30 and 10, 30 and 10. Yeah, and, and I, don't know, I don't know what he's at for rebounds, but, I mean, he's traditionally been a good rebounding guard. So, again, yeah, this is one of those games where you just got to hope to outscore him because in the game at the Garden to start the year, they were trying to play defense, and it did not go well. Quickly, it did not go well. It yep. got out of hand almost immediately. So, I think, yeah, just... Just score. Just run the floor. Try to score. That's it.
0: Hope for a good um, night from Mello. Hope for a good night from KP. We haven't really seen that. This is what I was talking about earlier. We have yet to really see Mello and KP both play well on the same night. And a, a you hope that's games, not because they're incapable. You hope it's because it just hasn't lined I, up.
1: It just hasn't lined up. Because there's stretches when it has, and then this team looks terrified. The Pacers game. All of a sudden, the Knicks are down 10 the whole game, and then the fourth quarter, like both of them, same time, went lights out. So... Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I mean, looking at the stretch now, I think best case scenario is you go two to two and two.
0: That's what I'm hoping for. You, you,
1: you win, you win one. I don't think we're gonna win the Rockets game. I think you just hope you win one of these Hawks or uh, Pelicans games, and uh, you, you gotta you gotta figure they gotta get up for the Magic and, and continue. They have played well against bad teams this season, so you gotta hope that they continue to to keep that trend going mm-hmm. so I, I'd like to think I think best case scenario two and two likely we go one and three I can't see us going and four here that'd be just brutal and uh if I had to cement one answer here I'd probably say one and three I feel like this is one of those little walls we're going to fall into quickly and it's going to kind of test us going forward for the rest of the season we're going to be hovering that 500 mark and then we have to see how we respond from there so I'm going to go one and three
0: I will say though, and the note to whoever's listening: this was recorded. This will come out after the after the Hawks game, but it was recorded before. I think they'll win by. Le- I think they're going to beat the Hawks by 15 points at least.
1: Okay. So yeah. what do you think for the the stretch overall? Uh, two, two and two,
0: two and two. I think they'll sandwich them. Uh, they'll win the first one, lose two in a row, then win the third one because they've shown the Knicks have been a streaky team, you could say, but they really have the most games they've lost in a row was three, I believe, all year. Yeah. So that's good. And part of that's been they haven't played th- uh, three really good teams in a row yet either. But they're beaten. they I think they're capable of going two and two for sure during the stretch. All right. So, uh, we have anything else? I think that's it for me.
1: Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm good here. So, all right. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us again, everybody. Uh, make sure after uh, every single game you check the Knicks wall for uh, all your. Recaps and we have our previews there as well. Uh, Be on the lookout for some uh, good stuff we're cooking out this week and hope everyone had a good Christmas. Hope everyone has a happy new year and uh, everyone's enjoying the rest of the holidays as well if it is not Christmas. So, all right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Billy, for coming on. Yes,